beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. I have a journal from when I was about 10 or 11 years old. It was one of those preteen type, all about me journals where it asks you questions in the front of each section, like what's your favorite song? What's your favorite movie? Etc. The type of like, little cutesy book that girls fill out on sleepovers or whatever. And I still have one of those. And in the question where it asks something like, best person to talk to, I wrote my mom. Look, if you have or have ever had a preteen living in your house, you realize that this is quite an unusual miracle to choose my mom as my favorite person to talk to. But I think why I thought that then and now even is because my mom is a really good listener, at least to her family. She used to take me to the donut shop every single Saturday morning, just me and her, to the donut shop. I would get donuts, she would get coffee, and we would sit there and I would blah, blah, blah her ear off with whatever young girls think is so important at the moment. We did this for years in my childhood. The donut shop eventually closed, but my tendency to talk my mom's ear off 
did not. I would call her at work in the middle of the day from college. Then later after I moved to LA, I would call her. We would talk for literally hours. Now, I don't want to paint our relationship as perfect at all. It's not. never has been. We have had our ups and downs over the years, of course. But my mom is still one of my very favorite people to talk to. And especially so since I became a mom myself. No one else, not even my husband, my co-parent, no one else will indulge so many minutes of hearing about the minutia of my children. I post about my mom on Instagram sometimes. She is unintentionally hilarious on social media. And I've featured her here on the show before and also in my Secret Tapes interviews over on Secret Stuff. And people just seem to enjoy listening to these conversations with my mom as much as I enjoy having them. So I decided to take advantage of her visiting this weekend to sit down and record us together answering some of your questions And also talking about our different philosophies on friendship and on sharing ourselves and also about a very particular conversation we had in the car when I was a kid and how we both remember it differently. Let this episode also serve as an encouragement for you to have a meaningful conversation with someone in your life, even someone you're very close to. Ask good questions, really listen and be present for their answers. I think sometimes it's even harder to do that with people that we're close to because we have developed patterns around our conversations or our relationship has like a certain dynamic where we kind of play out our roles together consciously or subconsciously. That's natural, I think. But setting aside time for one intentional conversation this week or this month or this summer is worth it. It really is. Also, P.S., there's some table tapping in the first few minutes of our recording. Darn these sensitive microphones, but it does stop after we get a little more settled. I hope that it is not too much of a distraction to you, and I hope that you really enjoy this conversation with me and my mom. Okay. Mom, what do you want to talk about on my podcast? Well, I don't know. You said that you asked people what they wanted to know about, and what did they tell you? I asked people on Instagram if they had any questions for you, and I did that because every time we have recorded together, we get a lot of feedback. (laughs) I I don't get it, but I don't know. I I shouldn't say feedback. We get a lot of reaction. (laughs) I don't know if people like to hear just a mother-daughter rapport. I don't know if people find it interesting that we're so different or I think they find it interesting that I don't answer your questions the way they might have expected I don't think I surprise you I don't surprise me but it might be a surprise to other people right so like my podcast listeners might just make the assumption that I have a mom who is like equally sharing or like you know I don't I think they just might assume something different than what your personality is I don't know because (laughs) your audience is younger women not not young young women and not old women although my friends love your stuff I mean they love your stuff they tell me that all the time 
Do they listen to the podcast? Do they know how? Well, some of them do. And that do they know how is an interesting thing because I don't really much know how, and I was always a really techie person, but sort of lost my techiness as time passed. But some older ladies can press those buttons. Do you know how to listen to the podcast? I do now. Mm-hmm. Do you listen to this one? Sometimes, not often. <laughs> that's the that code word for never. <laughs> no, that's not the code word for never. <laughs> it's that uh, I, I don't, I don't listen to them the way you listen to them, or the way some other people listen to them. I don't listen to them while I'm cleaning up the kitchen. When I'm listening to them, I have usually earphones on, and I have them plugged in, and I'm just sitting with my eyes closed listening to them. I don't do them like having a radio in the background. That would probably be real good. I just haven't figured out how to do that. Not that I haven't figured out how to do it technically. I haven't figured out, my brain hasn't figured out how to do that. When I was growing up, you wouldn't let us listen to music or the radio in the car. You had to have complete silence. I don't remember that. I like music in the car. I didn't like your music in the car. But maybe that was only, I liked music in the car when I'm in the car by myself. And I don't have to have it. It's not something I do all the time. A lot of people ask things that I think you've answered on the show before, but we have, you know, listeners who haven't gone all the way back and listened to every episode, of course. So I'm just going to give a quick rundown of some of the most commonly asked questions, because I got a bunch of questions when I asked. You know, when I did the call for questions for my mom, a big one is, did you read my book? Oh, yes. I read your book before it was a book. I read it when it was still online. I mean, when it was an electronic version. Like you read the manuscript. I read it as soon as you sent it to me. And did you feel like it was a fair representation of the stories that you knew or or me as the person that you know yes I wasn't I wasn't shocked by anything I did get a little more detail than I knew about some parts of your life but it wasn't shocking and it wasn't different it wasn't different in substance I may not have remembered every single thing exactly in the same way but it was Mostly how I remembered it or how I remembered you had said it or whatever. I didn't learn anything greatly from it. But how does it make you feel to have a daughter who shares herself to the, to the public? Well, okay, sometimes, sometimes you shared some details that I probably would have kept to myself. But I've always been this way. Yes, yes, you have. And I don't know where you got that because... Your dad doesn't do that, and I don't do that, so maybe you just came from Krypton. That's all I know. <laughs> well, what was it like when I was a kid? Like when I, Because I remember when I was a kid sharing all kinds of details with you about all kinds of things. People, bodily functions, you know, like all the things I needed to dissect in detail. As a child, did you think, oh, God, or were you, like, welcoming I, all my words? I, I <laughs> I don't remember it being unpleasant or uh, I like to figure stuff out by myself. I like to do stuff by myself. I, I don't share other things looking for feedback very often. I do sometimes, but not very often. 
I don't mind telling you what I think when you say things like that, when you describe what's going on in your brain, but I really don't have much to offer except that I probably think that I do, and so when you do that, I'm going to tell you what I think. Did that surprise you that I would ask you, why on earth are you thinking that strange thing? No, but I do remember in detail different conversations where you were really baffled by what I was saying. Not in a negative way. Like, you were always very open to everything I shared. But, you know, it taught me, like, oh, not everybody thinks like this. Like, do you remember when we were sitting at the Sonic? I don't know how old I was. When you discovered I had synesthesia? I was going to tell you you were seven, but maybe you were a little older than that. I can't remember. I don't remember us sitting in the Sonic. I do remember us sitting in the car. And I do remember... You saying that you assigned, I think, both a gender and a color to a number or to a letter. To both. So just for people who aren't listening, synesthesia is when you cross senses. So Wikipedia says synesthesia is a perceptual phenomenon in which stimulation of one sensory or cognitive pathway leads to involuntary experiences in a second sensory or cognitive pathway. People who report a lifelong history of such experiences are known as synesthesites. I don't know. I've never heard of that. But it's basically like when your letters or your numbers have a very specific color or gender, or sometimes people report that they can taste a number or a word. Mm-hmm. I don't have any taste thing. All of mine are color-related. Yeah, or smell. Mine are all color-related and engendered. Like every letter of the alphabet when I learned it, my numbers, when I learned my numbers. Words, like days of the week, months of the year, like everything is colored and gendered. And I thought that was true for everyone because, you know, when you're young and you learn your letters, a lot of times they're presented as like cartoons. Like they might have little faces or, you know what I'm saying? Like can you picture like a kindergarten alphabet where maybe like the... B is bouncing a basketball or something like that. This is just an example. So I had seen like representations of that, like in, you know, books or at school and stuff. So I thought that everybody thought of their letters and numbers and words and things like that. And so I said it to you, taking it for granted that everybody did this. I think we were doing numbers, actually, when you and I talked about it. seven was blue or something like that. Right. Well, seven is white, but right, like that. (laughs) And I said... And you were like, what now? And I was like, we know. And you were like, I do not know. Say more about this. No, you see, I never had an alphabet that had cartoon characters on it or numbers that had cartoon characters or other representations because I'm old and they didn't do that in the early 1950s. But I assigned dots to my numbers so that I could count them more easily. And the number seven, for instance, you have to make two rounds, one round of three and one round of four. So what you were doing was way out on the edge from what I would have done. I don't remember being shocked by it. I thought it was very interesting. Well, and just to be clear, I didn't make my own assignments, the colors and the genders, not from something I saw, because often it would be, it would be, in the little graphic would be different than how I thought of it. 
you know, I didn't get that from learning my letters. I did that automatically. The brain does that automatically. But then I just thought maybe that was how everyone did it. When I described it to you, you had not ever heard of it. Like you were like, I've never even heard of having gender to your numbers. But then later, years later, we discovered it was a thing. You sent me an article when I was like in college. I remember being like, what you have has a name. (laughs) I was like, oh. And now I think it's, I think a lot of people do it. I don't think it's uncommon. Well, it's a curiosity. (laughs) You always use that word when you're talking about my weirder stuff. Well, isn't that a curiosity? (laughs) It's a curiosity. No, I don't think a lot of people do that. I do think that historically there there are cases of many fine artists, whether they were musicians or visual arts people, did that. I, I was most intrigued with the story of the musicians who assigned colors to certain sounds. It's all just a matter of cross-sensory cross sensory things, and and I understand that because... I may count my steps when I walk, which is not cross-sensory. It's a little OCD, but it's something that you do with your brain. Your brain does things. I think that that was a very interesting thing to me when I was a child to discover that the way my brain worked was not the way that every other person. I think when you're a little child, you think everybody thinks the same way and sees the same colors. And and, uh, when they hear things, they translate it in the same way in their brain because you think... Everyone is like you because you're so self-centered as a little child. And I remember how how strange always it has been to me that other people think differently than I do. You you thought way differently than not just me, but anyone else I'd ever heard of in my whole life. (laughs) Because I'd never heard of assigning colors. The gender part wasn't so strange because I, I took a lot of French when I was young and they assign genders to nouns, and so that was, when I remember when I first learned that, that was very peculiar, but then you kind of get used to it. Well, I wonder, in the way a brain works, if having some cross-sensory issues was also part of the fact that I had a lot of sensory issues, period. And, you know, now this is very clearly, to me, tied to my anxiety, but as a kid, you know, I could not let food touch. I could not eat food that was mixed together. I was pretty particular about how clothes felt. And yes, (laughs) you're making a face. Yes. Very sensitive to wool. You were sensitive, but that wasn't out of the realm of normal to me because I liked fabrics. I loved the sensory piece of fabrics. When I shopped I walked down the the aisle and touched the clothing. Or when I was in a fabric store, I can remember seeing a lady in a fabric store trying to buy some fabric one time, and she was not even touching the fabric. How would she possibly have known what she was getting? I mean, she was looking for the color. How would she know how that fabric was going to behave in her hand? Well, you did teach me that about shopping, always. You can tell a difference in things. If you touch them, you can feel. So... That, that you could feel different fabric on your skin. That's not shocking to me. But you knew that my, I think you knew early that my food issues, my food textures, basically texture in my mouth yeah. is what it was. You knew 
that that was real early on. And I say that real, meaning like, you you know, some parents would just be like, force people to eat the thing or whatever. And I think you knew very early on that that was very, truly bothersome to me. And it was, I wasn't being bratty or. I never could eat, I couldn't eat rice as a child because of its strange texture. I couldn't eat cottage cheese. I love cheese. Well, I didn't then. These are things I could identify with. So you didn't tie it to anxiety? No. People have preferences on textures of food. I had strong preferences on textures of food. I understood that you didn't want that stuff in your mouth, that that was disturbing to you. Things that even tasted good, if they had the wrong texture, I were not for me. Well, I have a lot of people ask, and I know you've answered this before, so, you know, you can say whatever you want to say but I, I may answer it different this time <laughs> you sure well might <laughs> sure might but a lot of people ask about what it was like parenting a child with anxiety only because I've written so much about my childhood anxiety and I think you know a lot of parents are grappling with that now uh, your answer is well uh, answer it how you want to answer it well I don't I I didn't understand how serious it was I didn't get it I don't think I thought it was abnormal. I've never thought of myself as having anxiety, but I probably have. And I've probably dealt with it differently than you did. I just shut it out and go on. Sort of a, maybe I've said that term to get over it from time to time. Or get through it or whatever. I did not understand how serious it was until I read some things you had written that you had left when you left home, but you had written them when you were a young teenager. I know young teenagers have a tendency to be very self-consumed, but I don't think I understood the amount of anxiety that you felt. Are you saying you read my journals or something after I left home? I did not read your journals. I would have if they had been there. But you kept them with you. I can't remember what I read, but you left it out. If you'd left it out, it's fair game. Well, I had that drawer full of old letters. You think you wrote, read some letters? No, this was this was more than that. This was somewhere where it had been left for people to see. I, I don't know that you truly wanted anyone to see it because it had been long ago that you had written it. No, I didn't read all the letters. I did read some of the things, but I didn't read all of them. They were boring. They were young woman stuff. I was an old woman. With sunshine, outdoor activities, and so many fun things to do outside, it is impossible not to enjoy all of these good weather days up ahead. Of course, we all know that more sun and fun means more sweating and, yes, more odor. That's why I'm excited to tell you about Lumi. Lumi is the first of its kind in the full-body deodorant world and is seriously safe to use on any and every part of your body. It was created by an OBGYN who saw firsthand how regular body odor was being misdiagnosed and mistreated. I especially love that Lumi deodorant is baking soda and paraben-free. It is also pH-balanced for safe use on all areas of your body. You can choose from a variety of fresh scents like clean tangerine, lavender sage, and toasted coconut. 
Lumi's starter pack is perfect for new customers. It comes with a solid stick deodorant, cream tube deodorant, two free products of your choice, like a mini body wash or deodorant wipes, and free shipping. As a special offer for listeners, new customers get $5 off a Lumi starter pack with code U at lumideodorant.com. That equates to 40% off your starter pack when you visit Lumi, L-U-M-E, deodorant, D-E-O-D-O-R-A-N-T, Dot com and use code U, Y-O-U. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over 5,000 distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook, as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax, but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. It works so well. And I've gone through lots of periods of my life, and I'm sure you have too, where you were trying to do something that was out of sync. It's not good. No, it's not good. But the older you get, the harder that is. I mean, you have obligations to other people that you can't dismiss. You know, you have a boss, you have a spouse, you have kids, your place in society or community or whatever. Like there's, it was easier to not care about that when there were no stakes, really, you know what I mean? And then the older you get, you're like, well, I can't like no, give I... the metaphorical bird to my boss or my spouse or whatever. I need these relationships. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then, but then sometimes I think if you go too far, you lose yourself. Have you, has there ever been a time in your life where you felt you lost yourself? I can't think anything right off. I may have, but, and I may think later on that I had a better answer to that, but it, I don't think of it now. Well, I know what I want to ask you. People don't know to ask you this, so I'm going to ask you this. But you have a completely different (laughs) friendship philosophy than I do, always. And I'm curious about the role of friendship in your life, like girlfriends I'm talking about, because... This is something I talk a ton about on the show, and it's really a pain point for people in this stage of life, in the motherhood trenches, in middle life, maybe maybe they're post-divorce, maybe they're, you know, they've never been married, maybe they're, you know, I mean, just like this middle part of life where you're not young anymore, but you're certainly not old. I feel like friendship is a pain point for people. They don't know if they should hold on to their old friends anymore. They're lonely in their current communities. I mean, literally, I hear this all the time. I also talk about it all the time. And you and I have done friendship in life really differently. And so I kind of I want a different, different generation and different philosophy friendship answer here. Well, you probably won't get a very good one from me because... 
my friendship life is probably not very much like other people's. I'm incredibly shy. I have a very difficult time making friends, always have. My best friend today had to all but tackle me and hold me to the ground to get me to be her friend. Okay, but you know what? You just said you're shy and that you don't make friends easily. But your best friend now, he's been your best friend for a number of years. You know, almost 15, 20 years now. Mm -hmm. But she told me, your coworker, she worked in the same building as you did, that she asked you to go to lunch with her like daily for years and years and you wouldn't go. So when you say that you... She makes that up. I don't don't think she makes that up. She does. She makes that up. Did she invite you to lunch a bunch of times and you turned her down? Maybe she did. I don't know. So how can you say, I have a hard time making friends when you have people (laughs) who wanted to be your friend and you just didn't take them up on it? Well, I don't know. Did you not want to go to lunch with her in your co-working days because you were shy and didn't know what you'd talk about? Did she... And I, I we don't have to talk about her specifically. Or, I mean, we can. But, like, why weren't you going? I think she makes that up. I can't believe that that happened. Because we had a lot in common. We had... We were... Uh, we, we had children. We were about the same age and had children about the same age. And we chatted at work. But... I never felt, I, I don't know why, I don't ever remember her asking me to go to lunch and me not going lunch with her. I think she made that up. Well, you just have friendships now that I didn't see that you had when I was growing up. Like now you have friendships that are just for the enjoyment of being together. Y'all go to lunch, you go shopping, you know, you do girlfriendy things. You have wine at, you know, in the evening or whatever. When I was growing up and you were a career person, I guess we can talk about that too in a second, but when I was growing up and you were, you know, a working mom, I didn't see you have a lot of friends for pleasure. Well, I had friends from my work when I was, uh, when you were young, I had three or four friends and we did things together. I don't talk on the phone, so I didn't chat on the phone with people. But we did get together and drink wine at least once a month. And we did some things together. And then I had my very good friend, now gone. And uh, we, we had lunch together. And we did family things together. And we shopped together, uh, which I did also with my accounting office friends. You may not have seen that. Maybe I didn't. I don't, I don't know. But I had much more active friend life when you were young probably than I did when you were junior high, high school. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you always see your parents in sort of a different light. Maybe you just didn't make a big thing of it, and so I didn't necessarily notice it. But also, there was a perception of the working mom versus the stay-at-home moms who, had, you know, seemed to have a little band of social activity or whatever, and I perceived that early. I, I picked up on that early. What, I don't understand what you're saying. That, that the, one has more or needs more or what? No, I, no, I, I don't have any idea. I think that's based on personality, not on occupation. But from my perception, there was a little group of moms who didn't work who were often doing social things together. 
Do you know what I mean? That would have been very hard for me because that would have required me to reach out to people. For me to be friends with my working friends was much easier because there we were face-to-face. You didn't have to call somebody on the phone and say, would you like to go have lunch? You could go to their office and say, would you like to have lunch? Which for me is much, much easier. I have a very hard time with the telephone. I don't talk to people on the phone very much. Although if they'll call me, I will talk to them a long time, but I don't call them very much because they might answer the phone and then what would I do or say? I don't even know. Mom, that is so funny because you're such a confident person. You're no. such a, um, and I say this well, you're with you're so confused. You're so confused. I'm not confused. I was a very confident, professional, working woman. I could own the room and did. I'm a very shy, personal woman. I don't like to talk to people. I do like to talk to them. I want them to talk to me and be my friend, but I don't want to go up and talk to them because why would they want to talk to me? All I knew was my work world. I knew that real well, but I didn't know this other world. I didn't know it. It's so funny because... I learned how to be a hostess. Like, I learned how to throw a great party from you. You throw a fabulous party. However, the older I got, the more I realized that you throw the party and then you hide in the kitchen. You don't want to talk to anybody. You don't like small talk. You don't want to have to interact. You would much rather busy yourself with the appetizers. I want people to have a nice time and think that the appetizer was really superb. But you don't want to talk to anybody. Well, if they want to come and talk to me, I am happy to. But I don't want to have to approach them. I'm very shy about that. So funny to me. Okay, but wait, another one of the questions that I got a lot about was what you, as a conservative Oklahoma woman, think of my... Hollywood life and all of the differences, and I don't mean political, I mean just, you know, the differences in life that I've made for my family out here. I have never been terribly socially conservative. I'm very fiscally conservative. On a political spectrum, that isn't always divided out, but it is to me, and it is to the organizations that I might be involved with that that are strong, less government, less taxes, personal property rights, all of those things, but not I've never cared much about how other people live their lives, who they're friends with, who they sleep with, what choices they make, as long as I don't have to pay for it. I don't want to pay for people's stupid activities. But So you come out here, and, and you immediately get involved in productions of raucous body. <laughs> I always thought that was funny. That never... I may not choose to go see those movies because... I can only take so much of it without getting anxious. I might get anxious then. But it's not offensive to me, except maybe in good taste. But I don't care 
I didn't care what those boys did to one another, which what made them what they thought was funny or exciting. or. So you weren't bothered by Jeff's work? Not one bit. Are you bothered by it now? No. No. As long as it's financially productive, <laughs> I think it's wonderful. Somebody wants to see that and they'll pay to see it? Are you kidding me? I don't have a problem with that. Did someone else ask what you thought of Jeff when you first met him? I'm trying to remember exactly. I don't know what I thought about him. I remember when I saw him, he was sitting at the end of a table, and he had on a T-shirt that said, crap. <laughs> and I thought, well, isn't that curious? Why, why would you wear that T-shirt to your work? And I know that you're the boss, and there you are, and you're kind of cute, and he had all this dark, head of hair. He was he was really quite a nice looking young man. Yes, yes. I didn't I didn't know at the time that 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 uh, he would be my son-in-law. I never suspected such a thing because there were some other nice looking young men in that room too. But they were riding around on skateboards. It was a whole different world to me. Well, what I remember about taking you, you're talking about the Jackass offices, the first yes. movie. Yes, and they had pictures on the wall of penises. And I thought, <laughs> That's what I, I was isn't that a curiosity? <laughs> that's what I was going to say. Is that has I... never, you know, that's, that's part of life. That never bothered me, except why would you put that on the wall? Usually you put art on the wall that you enjoy seeing or that says something, well, I guess it did. I don't know. Well, I remember being suddenly very aware of how much genitalia was in the <laughs> art around the office. But then also they would put post-it notes over the offensive parts of the photo, if you will, when we had visitors, like moms. Yeah. Or like if someone right, brought their kids right. or something. And, I mean, that was somebody's job to go around and put... <laughs> I didn't know that. Post-it notes <laughs> in the appropriate places to, you know, censor things. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born Sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time.
I didn't find it offensive. I found it interesting. I've always had a great curiosity, and so I thought, well, now looky there. What are they trying to say? Why did they put that picture up there? What is there about that that they think is so, I mean, it has to be fun. They put it up there to be fun. Their art is on the wall to entertain themselves. Well, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, and then after you got to know Jeff a little bit, I think I think he fits in well with our family. Even though I would not have said that at the beginning because our family is very conservative. I grew up with, you know, you and dad did not say bad words. You did not drink alcohol in my presence. You know, you did not watch offensive things or whatever. And so I thought, oh, no, this is going to be a clash because, you know, Jeff is who he is. You didn't know your young father. Right. I understand that now. But also, I didn't understand. You don't always understand how someone's going to mesh into the family and that it's not about their taste. What Jeff brings to our family is a levity. And our family can be serious. And I think he brings a lightness. Do you not agree? Oh, yes, he does. I mean, he's uh, Jeff is so easygoing. He is so easy to be around. He's not judgmental, which is, our family is judgmental. <laughs> very, very. I would not say, uh, Jeff makes a living off of being crude, uh, off of encouraging people to do crude things, to get a laugh, and does it really well. He seems to be extremely talented at that. I guess we've left that, but when we were younger, your father was very crude also as a younger man. I mean, you've said that to me. It's but... hard to imagine as I look back on it, but he was very, in lots of times, had lots of funny jokes and did lots of funny things. But when we moved to Medill, that's my hometown, that lifestyle changed because the people that we made, we were friends with there, did not have that same crude sense of humor. And so we adapted to what their life was, which was, oddly enough, in that small town, a little more refined than what it had been when we were living other places. Is it offensive to you that I write so often or reference so often growing up in a one-stoplight town and, and finding freedom in this city of 10 million or whatever? Like, I don't say that with any offensive energy in my bones, but you know, one of my best friends actually has pointed out that she feels like I'm... You're making fun of us, or... No, like... like Implying that it's a lesser... That I'm, I'm not implying that, by the way. I think when you say you don't fit somewhere, it doesn't imply that the place you don't fit is lesser. You see, I, I didn't grow up in Medill. I grew up in Oklahoma City which I thought at the time was the biggest city in the world. Of course, it was not. But I grew up where you could be as anonymous as you chose to be. So I knew that life. And I don't know that I fit in so well in the small town world. But that's what you've chosen for your life. Well, that's where we lived. I'm not really sure how much choice I've entered into there except to stay. What do you mean? Well, I didn't choose to, I mean, we chose to move to Medill because it was a, a, a good 
opportunity for us and and it turned out to be a really nice place to raise our children and I enjoyed it and I was surprised at the nice people that we got to know in a small town I'd never been in a small town I didn't even remember driving driving through such a small town as that but it turned out to be a nice thing but it was where we lived made our made our life but say more about what you mean you didn't really choose it well We had come back from the Air Force at a time when the economy was not good. It was a sad thing because we had left in 1968 when times were good. I had many job offers. Your dad could have done most of what he wanted to, but he he had a, a military commitment, and off we went. But when we came back four years later, it was different. And he didn't have as many opportunities. I had two small children, very small children, one and a half years old and newborn. Not me, by the way. Those are my siblings. No. And so when he had an opportunity to move to Medill and join a small town but very, very successful law firm, it was great. So off we went because that was a great opportunity for us. But it was different. I'd never... I'd never even imagined living in a small town like that. Yeah, but you choose it now. You're retired. You don't have to stay. Oh, no. we. I guess so. We, But we have a home we love, and it's a comfortable life for us. Is there anything you would change? Anything where, what, when. Any decision I would make differently? Yeah. Let's see. Frank Sinatra sang about that. Nothing of great importance. There are things I, you know, I wish, you know, you can't you can't go back at all. And there are things I wish I had done a little differently, but they aren't. I don't think they would have made a material difference. I wish I'd been a better student when I was a college student. I made some good choices, and I made some poor choices. Do you have anything to say to the listeners who, like I've already described, are in middle life with kids still at home? mid-career or having chosen not to have a career like what would you do you have any like words of wisdom have have more kids <laughs> what i think having having more kids is good more is better i wish we'd had two more kids i don't know how we would have afforded to raise them and do the things with them we've done but not not everybody has that choice i know and so for those who do have the choice having children is a good choice not trying to do what you don't do well. That's, I think that's the biggest, biggest thing. I came to that late in life. Say that again. What do you mean? I think you should try to figure out what it is that you do well, what you enjoy doing, and concentrate on that. And not, not try to be somebody you're not. Not try to fit into a career pattern that doesn't fit your personality. I have, I have had enormously good luck by being able to work. I've been able to work for people who allowed me to keep different hours than other people did, to come in later, stay later. I don't mind working at night. I'm not a morning person. If I had had to be a person that opened the office up every morning, I would have failed terribly at that. I'm not a housekeeper. I'm a retired person, and I still have household help. I've had household help 
Off and on, not always, I couldn't always afford it, but when I could, I did. Or sometimes I thought that it would be it would be more economical if I didn't, and I didn't, and it made my life miserable because that is not what I do. I don't do it well. I don't enjoy doing it. I think that you do better when you find those things that you do well and stick to that. Do those things. Don't try to be someone you're not. Don't try to fit some mold that you don't fit. For me to have been a, a person who worked at an eight-to-five job would have been very difficult. I like to work. I work in spurts. I don't work steadily. I'm married to a man who lives his life steadily. Can't understand people who works in spurts like I do. But when I do work, I work very hard and very fast and very good. And then I don't for a while. And I have had jobs that I was able to work that way. And I was able to be successful. If I had tried to fit into a different mold, I would not have been successful. Yeah, it's a word. That's a good thought. No, it's, it's, it's critically important. And I think it's critically important as a manager in your work life and with your children. I think it's uh, or with your family or even with your friends to help them, if you have employees, to help them find the niche where they can be successful, to not try to take a person and remake them into something that they're not good at. And if they're trying to do that, not to encourage them to do so because it is not successful to try to be somebody you're not. If you are a a real particular detail-oriented person, you need to find work or you need to live your life at home or with your children where detail is rewarded. If you are a person who is wildly creative, you need to have work where creativity is rewarded. I am not a committee person. I never liked working in committees. I wanted to know what my job was or my assignment What did you want the end product to be? Don't tell me how to do it, for God's sake. Let me do it. I'll do my job. If it doesn't make you happy, I'll do it again. I'll redo it. Don't make me sit around a table and talk about it with other people and figure out what they want. Mm, No, I don't do that. That's not good. It's the same with my kids. I wanted my kids to do what they did well. Now, I think that sometimes you want to tell their children what they do well. Or tell your friend what they do well. And they may know better than you what they do well. But you need to encourage your friends, encourage your children, encourage your spouse to do what they enjoy and what they do well and not try to change themselves into something they're not. Well, I think that was a huge strength of your parenting. Outside of those years when you really tried to make me a mather. Okay, you really were one of those. You just (laughs) never understood it. If you had just paid attention to me, (laughs) you would have been a good math student. You had a great brain for it, but you resisted it. And I don't know what it was. Somebody did something to you early on to cause you to misunderstand that. Anyone can do mathematics. It's not hard. Okay, okay, so my point is made. Besides the years you tried to make me a mather, you really did let me be whoever I was. And you've done it with my siblings, too. 
even though my siblings and I were very different. One of us is a pleaser. One of us is an anti-pleaser. <laughs> and then I'm in the middle who's just, I just do my, I just stay in my lane and do my thing. But you have let us be who we are. And you've never tried to make us into a mold that we weren't. And that's a gift because I saw growing up and I see to this moment people who try to live vicariously through their children or who try to make their kids their idea of perfection or, or any of those things. And I will say, Mom, I'll say this to you publicly on air. You never did that to me. And I think giving me so much freedom to be myself, to figure out my own anxiety, <laughs> to move to California, you know, I never, I never once felt held back by my parents. And I think that that's a rare thing to say, honestly. Well, there was no reason. You never did anything that I needed to intervene. There might, you might, could have. If you had done some things, I might would have felt. Hold on, hold on. I did some things you might should have intervened on (laughs) that you didn't know about. Let's be honest. Well, that that might be true. That might be true. But, uh, and my own parents I guess I was a free-range child because my own parents allowed me to do whatever I chose to do. I never chose to do anything that would get me in trouble. There were maybe a few times that I did, but it worked out. It's worked out, Mom. It works out. Cheers. Cheers. just listen to the 10 things to tell you podcast you can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell slash podcast and you can follow us on facebook and instagram at 10 things to tell you remember this is an interactive podcast i have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell so take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.